Welcome to another Booch News podcast with Ian Griffin. Well, I'm on the phone today with Mark Young of Brew Loca, made in Manchester in the United Kingdom. Hi, Mark. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Ian. How are you today? So, Mark, your background is, as I understand it, uh, a guy who, like me, was from the UK, but spends an awful lot of time in the US, and you were a professional musician. Is that right? Why don't you tell us a little about your uh, musical career? Well, yes, you, you just summarized it there. I grew up in a small town outside Newcastle, a little coal mining town right at the tail end of, of England's heavy industry, uh, quite a rough, rough area in hindsight. And I went to university up there and did a degree in data processing, computers. And at the same time, I, I'd become more and more into playing bass guitar. I started off in brass bands as a kid, but then I just became hooked on the electric bass. And when I was in university, I went through pretty much an identity crisis, as many kids do. Like, what do I want to do? And I was faced with doing what everybody else did and has always done, gone to college, got a good job, settled down, and that was it. And then the other option is, well, I can go somewhere and try and be a rock star. And at the time, all the bands that I was into were basically coming out of Los Angeles. So about five or six days after I left university, I took a flight to Los Angeles and I had an old friend who'd moved there a few years ago and I stayed with him for a little while. And I only went for three months, but I ended up staying 28 years. So I had a bulk of my, my adult life out there. Well, tell me, just curious, so which band were you in? Can people find it on iTunes or anything uh, oh like that? Oh, yeah. Back in the 90s, we were uh, one of the up-and-coming rock bands of a scene that they called New Metal, spelled N-U. And we were doing really, really well. We got signed in 1996, and we were really on the up-and-up until we were brought down by one of the greatest cliches of all time, a stripper. And... One of, the, one of the guys in the band was involved with her and another guy committed, how she say it, an indiscretion behind his back and it led to so much drama within the band that the band self-destructed and the record label dropped us. Uh, but we'd, we'd had three albums out at that time, some MTV play, and we were doing really, really well. So the band, the band was actually called Head, spelled H-E-D, and also has the the name Head Planet Earth, and we have all together about when I was up till when I left about twelve thirteen albums, and the band's still going, but there's only one original guy in the band, so we had a great run for a minute. But after that, after all the drama and the settle and the dust cleared, it really became a day job, a night job, but the equivalent of a day job where we toured for a living played solidly seven, eight, sometimes ten nights in a row, and made a decent living out of it. And I did that up until 2015. When I left that band, it was just time. And I thought I was really done with touring. And then another band that had actually been one of my favorite bands gave me a call and asked me if I'd tour with them because their bass player decided to leave and have a family. So I toured with them. They were called Smile Empty Soul, and they were a great rock band, from Southern California, and I toured with them up until early 2018 when I decided it was really time. I'd been gone from my family too long, 
And I moved back here in 2018 and brought one of my kombucha mothers in a suitcase as I came. Well, let me, let's rewind a little because I, I, I understand during that time on the West Coast, even though you flew into Los Angeles and then the world changed entirely with those bands, you did dis- when did you discover kombucha and where and what was your involvement in kombucha before you returned to the UK with that scoby? Well, in the late 90s, to really go back in time, I was living in Southern California, and I really started hearing about yoga, and that was really before yoga as a practice had become very widespread in much of the states at all, really, except for the West Coast, and as I'm sure you know, the West Coast tends to be a little more proactive in trying out new things. And one day, one early Tuesday morning, I walked into this yoga studio, and it was a hot yoga studio, and it it had such an impression and such an impact on my life that I could tell you right now when it was. It was 9.30 a.m., Tuesday, March 12, 1999. I remember it so vividly, and my life completely changed as I I really got into the, the study and practice of yoga and the philosophy and science of yoga. But that's an aside. Right across the street was this little health store, and this was the days before the big chains such as Whole Foods, and I'd see these people coming out of yoga all hot and sweaty and they'd head over to this health store and they'd come out with these little bottles that they were sipping on. And of course, I was curious. I, it looked like a beer, but obviously it wasn't a beer. And I went in and checked it out and it was this odd named stuff called kombucha. And I think there was one brand that I couldn't even tell you what it was. And I tried a bottle and a couple of sips into it, I was hooked. And then That's- after every hot yoga class, I was straight over to this health shop for a kombucha. You were definitely there at almost ground zero. It's probably around the time GT Dave started uh, distributing. Maybe it was even one of his uh, brews. But uh, I understand, though, so you've been sipping kombucha since the 90s. Tell, tell us about, uh, because I always think of the West Coast, definitely, as you say, it's a more progressive end of the U.S., and kombucha ground zero, in a way, is Southern California, where GT Dave and Health Aid and a bunch of others. But there's also a nice yeah. uh, focus up in Bend, Oregon, where you've got a number of brands, and, and I believe that's where you also spent time. Yeah, I, I can tell you how I got, actually got into well, making the transition from buying to brewing, if you like, because mm-hmm. that's, a, that's yeah. an interesting story in itself. I, I, I was drinking it whenever I could. And back then, my band was touring extensively. And once you got out of California, really, with the exception of of Portland and Seattle, I couldn't find kombucha for the first few years. But then in time, like everything else, it spread. And it spread from the west to the east, or so it seemed. I'm sure New York had it, but I don't remember looking for it in New York. But anyway, fast forward till 2008, and I left California. And my partner and I, my wife at the time, we decided to go and live in Eugene because we'd been owning the the yoga studio that I started practicing at, just to backtrack a little, in Southern California. My wife and I ended up buying, and we ran that for a few years. And then when when we finally had enough of that, our building was bought out, and we, we, we sold off for a large profit. So we decided to get out of California because California at the time was just getting so overdeveloped and it was uh, just time for a, a change of scene. So we moved up to Eugene and at that point I decided, well, I've got all this time between tours. 
I love drinking kombucha. I'm tired of walking to the health store every day to buy some. I'm going to start brewing it. And I couldn't find a mother anywhere at first. And I tried brewing it, uh, you know, culture, starting from a culture, growing my own culture. I read that you could take a bottle of unflavored kombucha. And of course, I went for GT's uh, original flavor. And you could grow a mother from that. And it almost worked, but it didn't. So I didn't, that, that's, that didn't get me a mother. And then by chance, I saw on Craigslist an ad for somebody who was giving away a mother. So I emailed him, and it turned out to be this awesome guy, one of the coolest people I've ever met. He, it was an, a gentleman in his late 70s at the time, this is 2008, and his name was Leonard, and he lived so deep in the Cascade Mountains, it was about halfway between Bend and Eugene. So I drove out there because he told me he let me have one of his mothers and turned out he took his mothers very personally and hated throwing them away. So he started giving them away. And this guy was the, he was like an anachronism from, from uh, he was out of his time. Turned out he, he'd roamed the world in a sailboat for decades before finally settling down in the center of Oregon. And he had a homestead that he ran himself. He had a couple cows, chickens, ducks, an orchard and just was completely self-sufficient. And he gave me a taste of his kombucha that he had in fermenting in this bowl under a, in a cupboard somewhere and, and just gave me a glass straight off the mother. And it was just some of the best kombucha I'd ever tasted. It had a natural sparkle and just, it was real to me. It suddenly was like, all right, this is what kombucha's tasted like for thousands of years. So he gave me a mother and from then it was, I was just off to the races. I just didn't stop brewing. Before long, the little six-inch mother he gave me was replicating in, in mothers the size of trash can lids. And uh, me and my girl, we were just drinking it like it was going out of style. And then we moved to Bend, and she was a senior yoga teacher at the hot yoga studio there. And we'd give samples out, and I'd bring it in on, on when they had events. And it got to the point where people were asking to buy it, which is something I'd never thought of at the time. I just loved drinking it. So I put some money into equipment and set up a small, very modest brewery in my garage and started selling it to uh, yoga studios, to cafes, and little restaurants. I had a fairly decent growing clientele of private people that just loved kombucha in Bend. And it pretty much sold itself then. You know, everybody knew what it was. And uh, there was a very helpful, healthy interested community there so that's where I, re I really picked up and made a little transition from brewing for my own use into actually selling yeah i i, I resonate with that because uh, strangely enough i was doing hot yoga myself uh, when i started brewing and the one time i've ever I, I give away my kombucha to friends and people now but at the time i did do a little deal with the hot yoga studio where they took a dozen bottles for a dollar fifty each and sold them for three dollars. So I probably made twenty dollars from kombucha as this commercial enterprise. But as I said back in those days, I was in the high tech industry and didn't have the spare time. But you were in Bend, and um, there's a number of uh, major companies there. Did you know any of those people who then went on to uh, to bigger and better things with the, the major well, it's, companies? Well, it's funny you ask. It's funny you ask that because I, I did have a brief and very, very inspiring interaction. I moved to Bend with interaction with, a, with an up-and-coming company there. 
I moved to Bend late 2009, and Bend was a ghost town. And I, I later read that you know Bend is, falls under the, the category, or at least it did then, of a resort town. You know, it was really built around after the logging industry died in the late 80s, really. And Bend was a town of about 12 to 20,000 people altogether. I've heard varying numbers, and it was it was just an old dirty industrial town till Mount Bachelor really picked up and then it became a resort town with thousands of people visiting every winter for skiing and there was a when Southern California and much of the country had a huge property boom in the very late 90s early 2000s Bend apparently had a massive boom and I read it was one of the top five boom towns in the country but after the property market crashed in 07 into 08 it became one of the top five real estate bus towns. And when I moved there, you could walk around these neighborhoods where the builders had started putting in pipes and cul-de-sacs, and then they literally just walked away. And mm. it was desolate, and it was awesome. It was just so quiet, and the mountains everywhere. Um, but anyway, when I started brewing there, I was looking on Craigslist and the local newspapers just to try and pick up some used equipment. And... Uh, somebody was selling some gallon glass jars and I contacted them and they said, yeah, we're in this little strip mall. Uh, forget whereabouts in Bend, but I drove up there and it was two young ladies and they had this really young like high school, college girl sitting there putting caps one at a time on bottles. And it was two girls who'd started a company called Kombucha Mama. And yeah, I I know exactly. You're yeah, talking yeah. about Jamie and Michelle, exactly. who now now run the yeah. massive Hum Kombucha or Hum Kombucha. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they they were the the main and small as they were back then in 2010. They were the main kombucha company in Bend, and they grew and grew because it was such a great market for it. Bend loved to drink. It loved to drink beer, and it loved to drink kombucha. And really, I mean, they're in a way, they're cousins. You know, beer and cider and kombucha, they're not too dissimilar, except one's a lot better for you in large quantities. So right. I, got, I got some gallon glass jars because they were, I think, like moving up to the big time of five-gallon kegs or something like that. You know, that's, this is how yeah. small they started. And they were the classic case of, you know, that thing I really admire about America when you see those old pictures, for example, of Microsoft and Google starting in a garage, Steve Jobs starting in a garage, Hum Kombucha started in this tiny little strip mall, and then a few years later, you see them everywhere from Seattle to Florida. So it's an incredibly inspiring success story. My only comment on the, the, and it's not a negative comment, it was just my own perspective. I did their brewery tour on their opening night, and I was blown away. It was fantastic seeing all their equipment. But by then, they'd hired this full professional staff and one of the brewers was giving us a tour, and he points to this giant hot kettle, and he said, that's where we brew our tea, and he said, you wouldn't want to drink that, it's just this hot, sticky mess, and I'm thinking, that's absolutely the wrong way to approach your ingredients. I always think, you know, coming from England, you start with a really good cup of tea, and then you turn it into kombucha, so... When he, decide, when he described it as a hot, sticky mess, I was thinking, no, you really, really want me to reverse that point of view. You start with a great cup of tea, and from there you get a great bottle of booch. 
That's a, that's very insightful, and I know other British companies like Real Kombucha with David Begg uh, and uh, and Left Field up in uh, Berwick take the same approach. And, and I have actually in my own homebrew of now I use first flush Darjeeling and the uh, mostly drink it original. Sometimes I put lavender in, and it does make a huge difference. So let's come now. We'll move on. You've 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 come back from Bend. You've got your Scoby in your in your suitcase, and in Manchester, you settled in Manchester or near Manchester. Did you sort of just do some home brewing for a good while, or did you decide at that point you were going to do uh, what became Brew Loca? Well, it had always that had always been my plan because I I started. Brew Loca in Bend as a company and, you know, went through all the legal processes. I was registered with the state of Oregon and I started to do pretty good there on a small scale because in the mid, like 2013, 2014, 15, Bend was still a relatively small town and there was not many kombucha companies in there. Caboose is now one of the big ones, but they weren't there back then. So, I, I was doing okay there, and my band, I, it was a really sweet situation for a couple of years. My band would tour for maybe three months, and then we'd have two, two and a half months off. So it was perfect for building a stock of kombucha, doing plenty of brewing. And then i go on tour and travel and, and do all that stuff. So it was a great alternating cycle. But then our singer and band leader decided, him and his wife decided to buy a second house. I think it was the summer of 2014. And suddenly we were touring endlessly with like a week, maybe 10 days between tours. And, and that really impacted my brewing. And it got to the point where I, I was, was going to have to make a decision because I was, I was losing custom and I wasn't doing the brewing I wanted. And in the end, I ended up leaving that band and, and starting uh, doing more focus on brewing. But it, to be honest, it wasn't my main focus in life. My girl and I, we we decided we wanted another yoga studio, and that's one of my main passions. So we built one from the ground up, this time in Redmond, just outside of Bend. And that was our main focus for a while. The brewery was my second second business. And we start, I also started brewing June at that time. And we started selling it at the yoga studio. It would sell itself. You know, People would come out of that hot class and just buy it by the pint. So, uh, so I just continued that on a small scale, selling into local restaurants and bars, and had a decent private clientele at the same time too. And I continued that up until I came back here in 2018. But I was—I always wanted to start a brewery here, but at the same time, I was a little reluctant because every time I'd come back, all full of hope that the kombucha industry had taken off like it had in the states, it hadn't. And now and again, I'd see a bottle somewhere. And I had a contact here, a guy I went to high school with, who has built an, an incredibly successful company that serves food and drinks and ingredients for restaurants all over the Northeast and down, halfway down the country. And I'd always check in with him because he, he, he knows the food and drink industry inside out. And he kept saying, yeah, I've had people approach me to sell their kombucha he said, but the market's not there yet. The restaurants don't know what it is. The bars don't want it. So we'd always throw water on my fire, so to speak. Um, and then when I came back in 2018, he told me, yeah, it's starting to pick up, but I could tell he still wasn't convinced. And I just thought, well, I'm going to go for it anyway. And 
started brewing, but I found it was a lot harder sell here. Like I'd, I'd mentioned kombucha to people and just get a blank look, uh, whereas in the States it had become pretty much a household word by the, t- by the time I left there. So I, I had come into it a bit naively in terms of expectations here, but I wasn't going to be daunted. I still, I still started it and, and took that mother that came in my suitcase and started building her up, and, and she reproduced nicely. That's uh, definitely, I think, um, you were well positioned to see the potential, presumably, because back in the 90s when you drank that first bottle, it must have been an uphill struggle for those brewers, and, and it's happening over again now in the UK. I wouldn't say in the US it's yet a household word. If you look at the whole population, uh, GT Dave put up, a, put up a screen at the last KombuchaCon, which showed around 15% of households in the U- USA have tried kombucha, right. so there's 75, 80% so lot, of... So there's a huge market know. still there. What I huge noticed, growth. though, when... Right. When I was touring, again, that ran up till 2018. And as I, I think I mentioned earlier, when I first started drinking kombucha, I couldn't find it outside of California. But by 2014, 2015, and up until I left, you know, when I toured, we toured relentlessly 48 states, with the exception of Alaska, where I don't think there's a huge touring scene, or Hawaii. But we were all over the country, and by in the last few years, you couldn't go into a Walmart and not find kombucha. And when I go into Costco, even Costco started having GTs in 12 packs. So it definitely, it may not be a household word everywhere, but it's definitely available nationwide now. Oh, absolutely. I remember seeing it in Walmart and I even took a picture of it four years ago and I, I sort of joked with my friends hey, it must have arrived, it's in Walmart. And, and the local Safeway, in a sort of Vallejo, isn't a hit town by any means, even though it's near San Francisco. It's got a Safeway and other shops carrying it. So, then, yeah. so why don't you tell me something about the legends and the history of kombucha? It's actually one of my favorite aspects of kombucha is the history of it. And I'm sure you've come across some of the legends but it's the legends of kombucha that I find extremely fascinating. Um, Like Genghis Khan's warriors were supposed to have drunk it, the samurai. But but my favorite one of all, I I get into a lot of more esoteric studies, and there's a lot of characters throughout history that I find fascinating. Have have you ever heard of the Count of St. Germain? No. He's a legendary European figure from the Renaissance era up until almost the modern day that's mixed with all the aristocracy, was a very mysterious man, but he never aged. And and there was documented reports 60, 70 years apart of people seeing him and having encounters with him. But the legend goes that he never ate. He would just sip a mystical tea. And when I heard that, I was like, oh, the count was on the kombucha. Uh, just all these legends that I just find incredibly fascinating. And, and uh, one, one, one of the best compliments I got, I was selling at a, a market, a big, posh commercial market in the center of Manchester a couple of years ago at the Christmas time. Me and my sis set up a big stall. Oh, and, and ironically, the only people were like, oh, kombucha, 
were people who tried it overseas. But there was a lady selling homemade jewelry next to us, and she was a Latvian lady you know, from, from Central Europe. And she tried it, and she said, oh, this is the best I've tasted. This reminds me of what the elders would make in the village. And that was a huge compliment to me because she said she tried so many commercial brands, and they were too sweet and too flavored, but this was the real deal. And I took that as a major compliment, too. And that's what I've always tried to brew is the stuff that's how it's been brewed for thousands of years. I'm not trying to add hibiscus and lavender and find my own little niche. My niche is I just want to make traditional ancient kombucha and let it stand up for itself. And that's why you call it the ancient elixir on your labels. Right, exactly. Oh, one last, one last anecdote that I heard from this guy, Leonard, who gave me his, the mothers, and I've never been able to verify this, but he told me that in the 50s in Russia, you know, in the Stalin era, he said alcoholism uh, and death rate was at a huge level. People were impoverished. They were drinking themselves to drown their sorrows. And he said in the early 50s, Stalin supposedly sent out a team of doctors and scientists all around the country to discover what natural remedies they were to help people. And he said everywhere in the country they found rampant alcoholism, liver damage, early deaths, except for one area of Siberia where all the villagers, they still drank their vodka and, and had no money but they all drank this tea called kombucha and they had none of these liver issues and they lived long, healthy lives. And that's what this guy Leonard told me is how kombucha came out of Russia. I don't know if it's true or not, but it's a great anecdote. Well, I've heard that through a different source that the famous author Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who wrote uh, Cancer Warden books, was in the gulag, the prison system in, in Siberia. And has said that what kept those prisoners alive on their poor diets was kombucha. Right. I think I've heard that too, that when you said gulag, that sounds familiar. So, yeah. yeah. So kombucha is, it really is an elixir. So now you're back in Manchester, Brewlock is up and running. How is this working out for you? It's going good. It's not easy like it is in the, or was for me in the States to sell, but there's definitely potential. I always thought, much like when you started seeing kombucha in the Walmarts in the States, that once you see it in the supermarkets here, it's a sign that there's mainstream potential because I, I don't think supermarkets, I think they know what they're doing and I don't think they're going to throw stuff on their shelves that won't sell. So when I came back in 2018 and I started hearing about this brand called or this rugby player called Johnny Wilkinson, who he and his wife had a brand of kombucha. I actually, to this day, haven't tried it yet, which shame on me. But I, I took that as a hugely inspirational sign that kombucha is finally going to get the acceptance it should have here. And now I know Safeway carries, uh, sorry, Safeway, that's the state, Sainsbury's, the main, one of the main supermarkets here, carries several brands. So there's definitely been a shift in its, in its acceptance in recent years, which, which I find hugely optimistic. For my own journey, I'm not at the level yet to get into the shops. I actually took some programs that the city of Manchester sponsored uh, last year called Recipe for Success, 
or actually thought they'd be showing us more how to run a business, but they were really trying to encourage people to work on sales pitch and marketing and the endless social media in order to get in the supermarkets. And I had no idea just what a big deal and what an ordeal it can be to get into those big shops. And me starting on a small scale, I would load the back of my car up with bottles of booch and I'd drive all over Manchester after checking Google Maps for vegan cafes, uh, the health shops. I knew I wasn't yet, wasn't yet anywhere big enough for the supermarkets. So I targeted the kind of places that I knew would be interested. And some of them I walked in, like there's one uh, vegan cafe in Berry who's now one of my best customers, but when I went in, he'd never even heard of kombucha, which floored me for a second because the guy had all, this, all these raw products and raw food, and he looked at me like, what's that? <laughs> so I gave him a taste, and he liked it, and he ordered a couple of cases on the spot, and it's really taken off, and, and I found I ended up getting quite a few privates, private customers from people who tried it in cafes and then contacted me directly. And so my initial start into selling here was literally going door to door, which was a new thing to me, slightly humbling too. Because uh, like I said earlier, I'm not a salesman. I just love to brew. And I'd go in, i have people trying to hustle me on the price and all this stuff. And, and so that was a learning experience for me. But I slowly built up a clientele of well, health shops, really, for want of a better term, um, I don't yet see the chains like in the states of Whole Foods outside London. You still have more of the mom and pop, the little community uh, cooperatives, and they're very receptive. And they obviously attract a certain clientele that are looking for a better quality of food and are more interested in their health. And that's the kind of customers that I seem to attract. And I'm very happy with that, much as I yeah. love to be at GT's level, it's just not in the cards for me right now, uh, partly for selfish reasons in that I don't want to take in over my life. I don't want to take in over the other things that I love. I'm too old to put my entire life into investing, into building a business. So I'm happy to grow it one bottle, one brew, one customer at a time. Yeah, and you, I, I see on your website you also offer online ordering, free delivery in Manchester for orders of 25 pounds. Is there much coming through online, or is it mostly you driving around to find customers? No, I don't do any, any of that foot slogging, trying to sell to people anymore. You know, I went around all the bars and restaurants. Most of the bars, surprisingly, had not heard of it, and they just looked at me. A couple had, but... You know, everyone's a little tight for money, and the, there's a couple of bars where, like, well, I can get it from such and such brand for a quid a bottle. I was like, well, that's great. I just can't compete with that. I'm a, I make everything by hand. I'm not mass produced, so I, there were some opportunities I just had to turn down. It wasn't for me. Um, but I do get web traffic, and it's usually people that they form the two demographics. They're either people that have read about kombucha and decided they're going to search for it or it's people that have stumbled across it in a cafe or a shop and decided they want to order it direct in larger quantities and save some money. So I tend to attract the people that have sorted out, partly because I don't do any advertising anymore, really. Uh, just, I'm just not really interested in that side of things. So it's, 
it sells itself in a very small way, a small but growing way. Any last words before we, we sign off here? Where, where do you see the future for Bruloka? For Bruloka, I don't know. I'd like to see it grow, but if it doesn't, I'll still be drinking it myself, you know. Uh, but joking aside, yeah, I'd like to grow it slowly, but I'm not going to dive in and, and sacrifice my quality to make a quick few quid and, and mass produce it. it it's, I'm just not really into that side of doing business. But I'd like to be around. I've been brewing for well over a decade, and I don't have any plans on quitting now. I believe in kombucha, to be honest, and I don't really see it as a money maker, much like I didn't start practicing yoga to make money out of it, even though I ended up running a couple of yoga studios. Kombucha is one of those things, like yoga and like music, that's pretty much as old as mankind. Kombucha, as you know, has been traced back to China thousands of years ago. So it's not going anywhere, whether we try and commercialize it or not or make a living out of it or not. Kombucha is going to be around, and I'm comfortable with that, that way of, of, of working with kombucha. I'll sell it to whoever wants to buy it, but I'm going to brew it regardless. Well, thanks so much for talking with us. And thank you for taking the time. Thanks for listening to Booch News. For more about kombucha, please visit boochnews.com.